Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMALOTN. This week, for the second time, we're going over Bellator 297, headlined by the light heavyweight title fight between Vatim Nemkov and always tough out Yoel Romero. In the co-main event, we also have Patricio Pitbull looking to capture his third title in a third different weight division. He's going down, I believe, to the flyweight division, or sorry, the bantamweight division, uh, to take on Sergio Pettis, the returning Sergio Pettis, who was obviously out for the last year or so with an ACL injury. He's managed to rehab and come back and takes on a stiff challenge, like I said, against Pitbull, who is looking to make history as being the first fighter, I believe, in a major MMA organization to win a title in three different weight classes he did it at 55 he's been doing it at 45 for a long time and now he's looking to do it at 135 pounds he's on weight looks to be in decent enough shape we'll see if how see how he fares against the naturally uh naturally the fighter that should naturally be at 135 pounds obviously ufc goes down this weekend as well so i dropped a podcast earlier this week breaking down every single one of those fights the card has taken a little bit of a hit over the last 24 hours or so but all the predictions are there for you guys to check it out and obviously later today you can also check out the locky two-step which is a free two-leg parlay as well as a bonus three-leg parlay that i drop at the end of the segment and then on friday i'll be dropping the three best prop bets as well and next week i'll be dropping two more new segments so that at least i have a new video dropping every single weekday of a ufc fight weeks for more uh content and information for you guys to digest because i know that's exactly what you guys are looking forward to and if you guys are wondering how i managed to do tape studying on every single 15 fight or every single matchup on this card all 30 fighters i was able to do that with the mma fight archive link in the description below a seven day free trial is available as well it is the largest database in the world of direct links to past fights for every single fighter and some of the most famous organizations from around the world this weekend alone we have aca cffc lfa bellator um did i say aca i must have said that already uh but we have a ton of different uh, organizations on there and people have been flooding into the mma fight archive so i appreciate everybody that signed up thus far but they see the usefulness of it and if you take your breaking down and predicting seriously i promise you'll enjoy it as well and you won't have to worry about scouring the web anymore in terms of looking for tape on all these newer fighters that you may not have heard of or at least just having one place that you can just bookmark and then know that you'll have every Everything you need to study up on these fighters all in one spot the mma fighter archive check the link in the description below uh, for that patreon page also uh, my own patreon page is where you'll exactly be able to find breakdowns for pfl and lfa which both go down this weekend and next weekend we got double headers from both organizations so if you want to find out my best predictions and final predictions for every single one of those matchups you can check it out on my lock of the night patreon link in the description below all right, we got about 15 fights to get through for this Bellator card. You guys know I like to get through it a little bit more efficiently than I do my UFC cards, so let's get right into it. 
First fight of the night, we got Cody Law going up against Edwin Chavez. This is an intriguing matchup as Cody Law is looking to bounce back from his first ever losing streak. Now, he took his first loss two fights ago against James Gonzalez. And then last time around against Chris Lencioni, he fell up short as well. I believe that was back in December. Cody Law, standout wrestler. Obviously, that's how he's been able to get the majority of his early wins. But he's also been improving his striking game. And that's something he needs to continue working on because that seems to be the downfall in the losses that he's taken. He's been able to do decent work when he's able to get opponents to the ground, but he's just not dishing off, dishing out enough damage to sway the judges in his favor as he continues to take steps up in competition. He trains out of an American top team, but it seems like he spent the latter half of this training camp up in his roots where he grew up in Pennsylvania, working on his boxing and looking to utilize those fists to hopefully translate into some knockouts. His opponent, Edwin Chavez, has a couple former UFC fighters under his belt. He has a win over Colin Anglin, took an L to Yusuf Salal two fights ago, and then took another L to another opponent whose name is escaping me at this time. Seems like Chavez is a decent striker, but it doesn't seem like he's anything special. Yes, he beat Colin Anglin, who, in my opinion, is average at best, and it seems like Chavez was on top of his game that night. However, as you see with the 6-4 and four record, the guy's just not that great overall, and I think he's going to struggle against a very pissed-off Cody Law, who I believe at plus 150 can win this fight inside the distance. Obviously, his money line is chalky at minus 650, but I'm expecting a striking heavy approach from him this time around, and it's more than obvious that he should be able to knock out Edwin Chavez here. So give me the plus money on the prop, on the inside for Cody Distance, but I'd like him to win this fight regardless. Give me Law inside the distance. I'm going to call it by knockout. Next up, we got Jordan Newman going up against Matthew Perry, not the Chandler from Friends, but just Matthew Care Bear Perry is his name. Jordan Newman, one of the top prospects in all of Bellator right now, and you can see why he's a minus 2,000 favorite. I believe he's 5-0 and as a pro right now. Very good prospect. Strong wrestler. Trains out of Rufus Sport in Milwaukee. Improving his striking game, but he's very good when he gets his opponents to the ground and does damage from on top, and then eventually opening up a submission opportunity for himself like he did in his last matchup. He's been able to grind opponents out over 15 minutes if he needs to as well, but he's a very hot prospect, slowly building up his game. And I love the fact that he's smart enough to know that he needs to continue building this experience against lower level competition before he starts taking steps up in the rankings and fighting more legitimate opponents. As a part of this weekend, Matthew Perry, I've been only able to watch one fight of his, which took place back in 2013, which was his second last fight before he took an eight and a half year long layoff before returning in 2022 and picking up a win over a 13 and 14 opponent. Perry seems to be average fighter below average at that you know a guy that doesn't seem to be taking MMA seriously considering the lengthy layoff that he took off uh, before his return uh, before his last fight seems to be a striker I think he's going to be an absolute shit here against Jordan Newman who should be able to dictate the pace no matter where this fight goes he will have the advantage I look for him to take this fight to the ground smash him on top and get a victory inside the distance Moving on to the next matchup, we got Timur Kizriev going up against Richie Smolin. Timur Kizriev, a 12-0 hot prospect, picked up his biggest win in his UFC debut last time around against Daniel Vaj- Vajchel. Uh, That was a fight where he 
outstruck him for the most part you know he has great wrestling game that's obvious but he also does a very good job in terms of doing good work and the striking realm really beating Daniel Vaitro to the punch and not discriminating with his targets did a great job with the leg kicks did a great job with his hands as well and then when he needed to he was able to take the fight to the ground and do solid damage from on top too Richie Smolin is on, you know, looking for a career resurgence at this point as he was able to pick up a big win in his last fight against Polish stand-up Piotr Nidzulewski. Probably butchered that name, but you guys know who I'm talking about. He picked up, a, I believe it was a split decision victory that night, but he showcased superior groundwork just as he always does. And that's where he does his best work. When he's able to get guys to the ground and drag them through that ringer and possibly even open up a submission opportunity for himself unfortunately he's gonna have trouble getting the fight into his realm here as he's dealing with a significantly better grappler and a significantly better striker look for Timur Kizriev to absolutely butcher Richie Smolin here and I fully expect Kizriev to go out there and get the finish Next up, we're going to be talking about Carl Moore going up against Alex Polizzi. Polizzi is returning from a jaw injury that he suffered at the hands of Yoel Romero last year. Absolutely cracked his jaw in the last second of that matchup, winning that fight with one second left on the clock. Alex Polizzi has some solid wins under his record as he has also handed Mr. Grant Neal his first ever professional loss. Uh, he's a very solid wrestler. Trains out of the Colorado area, if I'm not mistaken. Um, actually, you know what? I am mistaken. He 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 doesn't train out of a a high level gym, but he has spent time at Extreme Couture in the past. He's a wrestling based fighter that's looked to go out there and uh, you know drag guys through the mud. He's even defeated former middleweight champion of Bellator, Rafael Cavallo, which was his uh, Bellator debut, and he was also the former LFA light heavyweight champion. He's a very solid fighter with the little bit of a sketchy gas tank but i've seen him kick it into the extra gear if he needs it especially in that fight against grant neal uh carl moore his opponent this weekend decent striker but seems to be relying on his grapple heavy approach at this point in his career he's a six foot three 75 inch reach uh frame for this light heavyweight division but very very strong we saw that on full display in his last matchup where he was able to uh really grind his opponent out for the first 12-ish minutes of that fight until his momentum was reversed in the last two and a half minutes of the fight and we saw his opponent uh enjoy some good top time but was unable to do enough damage to get that fight swung back in his favor and we saw Carl Moro pick up his win I believe that's a three fight winning streak uh, that he's on right now but the second last fight that he won against Carl Albrechtson was a big win for him Albrechtson is a very high level light heavyweight in the Bellator ranks and we saw Albrechtson do very good work in the first round but Carl Moro was able to hit him very or land a very big shot in the second round change the tide of that fight and then eventually sink in the rear naked choke to get his hand raised I believe that it's going to be the technical wrestling advantages that we'll see from the Alex Polizzi side for him to grind out this fight and get his win. I believe that it's going to be a back and forth grapple heavy affair, which is why I don't mind the chalk on the over two and a half in this matchup. Neither guy is willing to go out there and really swing the leather to try to get the knockout. And I believe that's going to cause this fight to be a grapple heavy affair over the 15 minutes, causing Alex Polizzi to win this fight by decision. It's going to be dirty. It's going to be sloppy, but I think it's going to be Polizzi who ends up getting his hand raised in this spot. Next up, we got a very interesting matchup. I love this fight because I'm very high on this prospect. Mr. Archie Colgan, he's taken off 
taking on his toughest test and biggest name to date in Emmanuel Sanchez. Archie Colgan, very hot prospect. Uh, I don't have the number in front of me right now, but he but he is undefeated and he went up against another undefeated fighter last time around in Justin Montavio. I was very bummed that they put these two prospects up together because one of them was going to have to take their first loss and it was Justin Montavio taking his first loss. Archie Colgan, known for his wrestling, was able to go out there and showcase his improved striking game, eventually knocking out Montavio about three and a half minutes into that first round. That just showcases that this guy is improving every single time out. He's been spending a ridiculous amount of time in the gym with Justin Gaethje and has even trained with guys like Danny Roberts and Kamaru Usman in the past. But we know he has a strong wrestling game, but now with his improving striking, we just know how much more dangerous he can be as he continues to gain experience. Speaking of experience, he's going to be fighting somebody with a wealth of it here. Former two-time title challenger Emmanuel Sanchez is looking to buck the trend of his four-fight losing streak that he's currently on right now. I can give him a pass for the Patricio Pitbull loss and a couple of the, of the other guys that have been giving him his losses, but the Yancey Medeiros in 2022 loss is a big red flag for me. He's only 32 years old or 31 years old and you know could still be in his prime, but he just doesn't seem what it has to take to get to that next level and really just push his game uh, and, and be a more damaged uh, heavy fighter. His striking is okay. He does a good job with his combinations, but doesn't really do much to really hurt or drop his opponents. On the flip side, also, his grappling. He's a little bit too confident in his Brazilian jiu-jitsu game off of his back, which is why opponents have been able to grind him out from that top position while he's just happy to play off of his back, hoping that he can pull off a submission from there. I really like the RG Colgan side here as I think he has advantages pretty much everywhere. As long as his cardio holds up over 15 minutes, which is what I believe he's going to be able to do and has shown in the past as well, I expect him to be the more effective striker and I expect him to go out there and drag this fight to the ground when he feels like he needs to. Sanchez might be able to build a little bit of momentum in this matchup at a certain point, but for the most part, I fully expect RG Kogan to control this fight, utilize his better striking, power striking, maybe even drop Sanchez and hurt him here badly, but I think for the most part, he'll control the pace of this fight and control where this fight takes place which is going to be the most important aspect for him to win this fight so give me Archie Colgan and I think he wins this fight by decision next up we got Norbert Noveni Jr. going up against Camille Onikshuk Onikshuk I'm totally butchering that. And this is coming from somebody who prides himself on getting their pronunciations correct. So I apologize to the Polish fighter Camille. But a very fun fight here. We got Noveni Jr. who is uh, trying to put together a second straight win after returning from his ACL injury. He was out for the majority of 2021 and 2022, but successfully returned earlier this year where he was able to pick up a dominant victory over Andy Menzolo. Noveni Jr. is most famous because his father was a silver medalist, I believe, in Greco-Roman wrestling, which we know means that Noveni Jr. has pretty much grown up on the wrestling mats. And that's where he thrives, when he's able to get opponents to the ground and utilize his jiu-jitsu and just crushing top pressure to work for dominant positions and then eventually finishes. He's improving his striking game, which is reminiscent of Michael Venom Page, considering that Michael Venom Page is one of his main training partners, so you see him in that bouncy karate style often. We saw him pay for that 
one time and luckily come back and still pull off the victory. But that still leads me to believe that he might be able to get touched up by better significant or better technical strikers who might be able to take advantage of that hands down striking style that Noveni likes. And that's what he might be getting here in Camille, who is a very solid striker, standing at six foot three, very lengthy striker for this middleweight division, and that seems to be his MO. However, it seems like he struggles when opponents are able to get fights to the ground. And that's where I think we're going to be seeing from Noveni Jr. this time, where he looked to strike over his last couple fights. But I think in this one, he needs to be a little bit more careful, especially with the long kicking game that Camille brings to the table. I'm fully expecting Noveni to play around a little bit on the feet before realizing, oh shit, I should probably just take this to the ground where I have a significant advantage. So give me Noveni Jr. And I think he actually pulls off a submission in this matchup, taking advantage of the poor grappling game of Camille. So give me Noveni Jr. by submission. Next up, we are going to move on to Mike Hamill versus Shamil Nikayev. Very intriguing fight here between two grapplers. Now, Mike Hamill is coming off a beautiful knockout victory over Nick Brown 42 seconds into their matchup. Mike Hamill is specifically known as a grappler, but he's been showcasing a little bit more of his striking over the last couple fights, which has been able to get his hand raised, and then obviously in emphatic fashion last time around. He has a sketchy record of 10-5, but don't let that fool you considering the level of competition that he's been going up against, and not to mention his record could easily be 11-4 right now had it not been for his disqualification loss to the hands of former UFC fighter I think former UFC I'm not sure if he's still on the roster but Bruno Souza in the LFA ranks we saw uh, uh, Mike Hamill have a very good performance that night but he had an unintentional shot to the back of the head that the referee judged to be intentional which is why he was disqualified that night but Mike Hamill is making some decent work here in the Bellator cage you know went the distance with uh Usman Nurmagomedov, who is obviously the champion of that division right now. Uh, you know, he defeated Kili Smota. He's had some big wins as well under the Bellator banner, and he's not somebody that anybody should be overlooking. His opponent, Shimel Nakayev, hasn't been in the cage since December 2020. I couldn't find any reason as to why. I'm not sure if it was injuries or any other reasoning, but I'm really looking forward to seeing him get back into the cage undefeated fighter has some big wins under his record like alexander sarnovsky and even cameron lachinov which you know was a great win for him lachinov is a guy that was able to shut down the wrestling game of kyle crutchman who fights later on on this card but he had no answer for the grappling game of nikayev and i believe that's going to be the difference maker in this matchup yes i get it hamill comes from a wrestling background in his own right but i believe that nikayev will just put that relentless grueling pace on him that will make him struggle to have any success in any other realm of this matchup the layoff gives me a little bit of pause on the Nakayev side, but if he comes back even looking like 75% of what he used to, I think he puts Hamill through the ringer here, and it may not look pretty. You know, his win against Alexander Sarnovsky, he was able to just push him up against the cage for about 10 minutes and take home a decision victory that way. He might have to do that here, but I expect him to land a couple of takedowns. I don't know how much top time he's going to be able to get, but I think it's just his relentless pressure, his relentless pace, and just staying in the face of Hamill and keeping him on the defensive, which will be the difference maker in this matchup. Give me Nikayev by decision. Next up, we got Jaleel Willis coming off his biggest victory to date, going up against Ramazan Karamaga. Karamaga. Let me try this. I apologize. Kuramagomedov. 
Now Jaleel Willis, like I said, coming off the biggest victory of his career, snapped a two-fight winning streak last time around by defeating Kyle Crutchmer. He showcased great takedown defense that night and showcased a superior striking and speed, which was able to get him to damage Kyle Crutchmer more over the 15 minutes that they were competing and obviously ended up getting his hand raised. He was an underdog in that matchup, just as he is this weekend, and it all came down to his takedown defense, which is why he was able to pull off the victory. And I think that's going to be important for him again, once again this weekend, as he go up as he goes up against the Daga, undefeated Dagestani wrestler here in Ramazan Karamagomedov. I don't know why I tried it again, but I tried it. But Ramazan was actually on the Contender Series a couple of years back, where he defeated Jordan Williams in a very abysmal like approach which ultimately didn't even get him his ufc contract he's been able to defeat like the likes of john howard over his last couple fights and it just shows like he's he's a good wrestler he's a good fighter he's undefeated for a reason but i think once he starts taking legitimate step ups against fighters that are closer to their prime he's going to struggle and i think that's going to showcase this weekend if jaleel can show off the takedown defense that showed in the kyle crutchmer fight and crutchmer is a very strong wrestler i think he should be able to put the work on Ramazan here I think Jaleel is the better striker his speed and his power will really start to hurt uh, Ramazan as this fight goes into deep waters and I also think that Jaleel has the better gas tank so this will allow him to keep this fight upright for the majority of it and I think he can do solid enough damage from on top uh, sorry in the striking realm and even if he wants to I think he can take down Ramazan the deeper that this fight goes so give me the plus 170 no brainer here plus 180 on certain spots for Jaleel Willis Again, hopefully that takedown defense shows up and he should be able to do solid work and get this upset victory. Next matchup, we're going to go with Peter Buist going up against Gadzi Rabadanov. Uh, again, Buist, I'm probably uh, butchering his name, but he is a Dutch kickboxer. Having his last five fights under the 1FC banner, he makes his uh, second trip to the Bellator cage this weekend. Uh, I believe it's his second... Uh, yes, sorry. His last five fights were under the one championship banner. I'm getting him confused with a, a, a different fighter on this card. But yes, uh, this will be his Bellator debut. He went three and two under the one championship banner, picking up a big win over one of their former champions, Edward Folia Long, probably butchering his name as well. But his last two losses have come to some of the top guys in that uh, division, I believe, or in, in the one championship uh, promotion. One of them being uh, Timothy Nasty Yukin, who was able to have a tremendous performance over him. And uh, the other one is escaping me at this moment in time. But it showcased that, you know, these guys are able to drag him to the ground and really put him through the ringer. He's a very vicious Thai boxer, like I said, a Dutch kickboxer, I should say. Good striking, good combinations, good knees when he gets into the clinch. But And he showcased a solid takedown defense against average level grapplers. But he's going up against a... Dagestani wrestler here in Rabadanov who trains under Habib Nurmagomedov and we know what kind of wrestling game that he has his striking game is not too shabby either as he's been able to produce some really vicious knockouts of his own but I think he does his best work on the ground specifically in this matchup to drag boys to the ground where he can just smash him from on top and I think he grinds this fight out over 15 minutes I believe I went with a decision. Yeah, with a decision here. Boist is tough to put away. He doesn't usually give up dominant positions and just kind of look for the way out. He is always working to either throw up submissions or try to work back to his feet. But I think he's going to struggle to do that against the likes of a grappler of Rabadanov. So give me Rabadanov by decision here. Next up, we got to battle of two grapplers here. 
and Kyle Crutchmer and Bobby Nash. Kyle Crutchmer obviously coming off that loss to Mr. Jaleel Willis last time around and really is starting to fizzle out like from that hot prospect moniker that we gave him early last year. He's actually changed things up a lot this time around as he has left his home gym of American Kickboxing Academy and gone down to Texas to join the likes of Fortis MMA and Coach Safe Sayud. He's had a couple of his friends, including Laird Anderson, who's also making the change to go down there, and I'm curious to see what they're able to do to improve Crutchmer's game. We know Crutchmer has a fantastic wrestling game, but we've seen that if people can shut that down, his striking is very predictable and what you would expect from a wrestler. So I'm curious to see what Safe Sayud and Fortis MMA can do for him in the striking realm to make this guy an even better fighter and tap into that potential that a lot of people believes that he has. Again, he's very powerful. He's very strong. He just needs to be able to set up his takedowns a little bit better where he's able to do good enough work from on top. His opponent, Bobby Nash, had a three-fight stint in the UFC, but unfortunately went 0-3 in all three of those fights and uh, got knocked out in every single one, including a 15-second knockout to Kanan Song, which spelt the end of his UFC career. However, he's on a four-fight winning streak now since 2017, Yes, I said four-fight winning streak since 2017, meaning he's only competed four times in the last six years, but he's been able to get a victory in every single one of those fights, knocking all of his opponents out. He's a grappler-heavy fighter who's starting to fall in love with his hands, but I believe as he continues to take steps up in competition, that's going to start to work against him here, and his durability issues, which showcased in the UFC, might start to pop up again as he... Again, it starts finding these guys who are not just going to fall to the, the, the might of his hands. He might have some big knockout power, but I believe he's going to have to rely on his wrestling in this matchup if he hopes to get his hand raised. I believe, And what I mean by that is defensively and then start to look for his hands. Unfortunately, I think he's coming up against a very pissed off and newly motivated Kyle Crutchmer who should be able to go out there, utilize his hands, and maybe even produce a knockout of his own. I think he's going to use the threat of the takedown to scare Bobby Nash into maybe a faint level change and then come up with some hands and probably find a knockout there. That's me believing in him trying to work on his flaws, which isn't as striking, just like Cody Law earlier in this card, and hopefully that can produce a knockout victory for him. So give me Kyle Crutchmer. Next up, I don't know why they put this fight as the prelim headliner. It probably should be the first fight of the night, but we got Vladimir Govea going up against Gabriel Sayage. Very ugly fight here. Two sloppy-ish heavyweights. Govea looking to get his second professional victory after having a successful first fight in the professional ranks. Defeating uh, Corey Mogenberg last time around. Very sloppy fight, but he was able to finally get the fight to the ground in the second round. Uh, do some good... Or sorry, he got the fight in, to the ground in the first round. Did some solid work from on top. Couldn't get Mogenberg out of there in the second round. He started to let go with his hands a little bit more. You can see a little bit of the technique that he lacked in those uh, on those uh, scenarios. But he was able to put together a barrage to get Mogenberg out of there and get his hand raised. He is a BJJ black belt, training out of American Kickboxing Academy. Not 100% sure if he's still training there. Uh, he's very secretive about his uh, his training. I tried to follow him on IG, but I didn't get approved or anything like that. So maybe he's just trying to keep things under under wraps for now. But he's a 
you know, he's a guy trying to utilize his credentials in other mixed martial arts and hopefully, or in other martial arts, and hoping that it uh, translates to the mixed martial arts world. And they're giving him another tomato can here in 36-year-old Gabriel Sayage. Uh, he had a 5-4 and four amateur record, and now he has a 1-1 one one professional record. Uh, he returned, or sorry, he, he moved to the pro ranks in July last year after taking over five and a half years off. He was already in pretty bad shape in the amateur ranks and he looks in even worse shape once he moved over to the pro ranks. We know what this is. This is a setup match. I still have my reservations about uh, Govea. You know, this is sloppy, low-level heavyweights. Anything can happen and I wouldn't be surprised if Sayedge is able to pull off some Hail Mary knockout of any sort. But I'm going to go with Govea and I hope he goes to his BJJ prowess here because I think if he gets this fight to the ground, he should be able to find a submission relatively quickly. Give me Govea by submission. Kicking off the main card, we got a heavyweight slugfest between Daniel James and Golkan Saracham. Very intriguing fight here between two, well, one very heavy hitter and one very technical striker. Daniel James is coming off of his first ever Bellator main event victory where he was able to endure a shit kicking well not endure a beating for the first two rounds and then eventually coming back in the third round and getting a big knockout victory of his own now he returns to his hometown of chicago illinois hoping to pick up another big big victory over Golkan Surcham. i like to call daniel james the walmart francis Ngannou. he you know we know he has that hammer that fight ending power that no matter how a fight is can is going he just needs to land that one big shot and he can get you out of there this is a guy who actually started his professional mma career under the bellator banner but after having that first fight he went all over the world including fighting for aca and taking on some stiff competition over there but now he's back in bellator on the north american side of things and doing some good things 2-0 i believe so far under the bellator banner again uh big wins over tyrell fortune and obviously marcelo gome last time around another win here this weekend could put him in in line for a potential title shot against a heavyweight champion but he is very much lacking the technical abilities right he has some good striking in terms of his like just raw power but that's about it he's a tough guy to take down just because of his size but if you are able to get him down he's tough to or he finds it tough to get back to his feet and then on the flip side for Gokan Sirucham uh very technical striker uh has trained with the likes of Gegard Mousasi uh he's been spending a lot of time recently in Las Vegas training with you know a lot of the heavyweights that call Las Vegas home some of the guys like Sergei Spivak I've even seen him training with Blagoy Ivanov uh like I said very technical striker technical striker comes from a kickboxing background so it's always tough you know predicting fights that include guys like Daniel James right include guys like Derek Lewis or Francis Ng because more often than not they're going to be at a technical disadvantage against their opponents but then they can just one shot that's it that's it that's all he's going to need however i'm going to go with what my logic is telling me and my logic is telling me that the technically better striker should do a good enough job in terms of keeping daniel james at distance utilizing his speed utilizing his footwork and utilizing his countering ability to really just put the hurt on daniel james and possibly even find a knockout victory of his own I'm actually going to go with Sir Cham to win by decision. I think he plays it so safe that he doesn't finish James and just continues this fight going for 15 minutes. I wouldn't be surprised if he tries to pull out a takedown attempt of his own, but I think he does a safe enough job in terms of just kicking James from distance, staying on his bicycle, and trying to counter any of the big attacks that Daniel James completely whiffs on. 
Gimme Serge Ham, but good God, am I going to be shitting my pants if I actually put money against a guy like Daniel James? Next up, we got a light heavyweight matchup between Corey Anderson and Phil Davis, both guys who have come up short against Vadim Nemkov. And it's going to be tough for them to earn themselves another title shot, but they're going to have to start by trying to defeat each other this weekend. Corey Anderson is fresh off of his loss to Vadim Nemkov last time around, where, you know, he actually, it was the second time they fought. The first time he fought him, he was doing very well. He won the first two rounds, was on his way to winning the third round, and it seemed like Nemkov was running out of gas. Unfortunately, there was an unintentional headbutt from Corey Anderson, which caused a significant cut on the face of Vadim Nemkov and caused that fight to be judged as a no contest. They returned uh, several months later, and Vadim Nemkov looked like a completely different fighter. He was stopping the takedown attempts of Corey Anderson. He was battering the lead leg of Anderson with that leg kick and was just beating him to the punch in the boxing exchanges, and he was able to take home a decision victory and retain his light heavyweight title. Phil Davis, on the other hand, was able to pick apart uh, UL Romero from distance and win his fight by decision. He's been able to put together an 11-3 record since joining the Bellator ranks, and he was even the Bellator light heavyweight champion until he ran into the guy that handed him his last UFC loss, Ryan Bader, when Ryan Bader made his Bellator debut. Uh, Davis has fallen at the hands of Adim Namkov in the past, uh, but... He just needs to go out there and showcase what he does best. Utilize his wrestling. Utilize his improved striking game. And that's what he was able to do. I believe it was his last fight where he defeated Julius Anglicus. He did have a win, like I said, over Yoel Romero, which included a lot of pitter-patter shots from the outside, a lot of output, a lot of volume. Uh, but, you know, he's he's getting up there. He's 38 years old. He's no longer the young prospect that we were excited about uh, like 10 years ago or 15 years ago when he was coming up on the... Uh, the UFC scene. Maybe 15 is too long ago, but you guys know what I mean. Uh, I'm going to lean with Anderson here. You know, maybe it's the youth experience or the youth advantage that he has here, not by a whole lot five years younger, uh, but also just his pace, his output, his cardio. I think that's all better than Phil Davis's here. I think the wrestling is kind of going to cancel itself out, but I think it's that relentless pace, staying in your face, and style of Corey Anderson that will ultimately get his hand raised in the spot. I'm not huge on the money line on him here, but I do think he wins this matchup. Over 2.5, another way you can go about it, but give me overtime Corey Anderson to bounce back after his loss to Vadim Nemkov. Now we go to the co-main event here for the bantamweight title. We got returning champion Sergio Pettis going up against featherweight champion Patricio Pitbull, who is looking to make history by dropping down to bantamweight and try to capture his third major title in a major organization. And man, he looked he looked rough, I must say, on the scales. He looked rough from what I saw from the pictures of him coming down to 135 pounds. It honestly reminded me of when TJ Dillashaw tried coming down to 125 pounds and he got knocked out in the opening minute of that matchup. Not saying Sergio Pettis is going to replicate that, but I think that Sergio will have the cardio advantage and durability advantage in this matchup. Now, Pitbull, he's been, he is probably the best Bellator fighter of all time. He's had a tremendous record. Let me just pull it up here. Uh, he made his Bellator debut back at Bellator 
15 in 2010, and he's had a 23 and 5 record with the company over the last 13 years. He's captured the featherweight title and defended it over eight times. He won the lightweight title, although he didn't defend it because he vacated it so that his brother could win it, which he ended up doing and then quickly losing afterwards. But he's mainly cut his uh, teeth in the featherweight division of the Bellator ranks. He's fought all the best names that it has uh, had to offer from Daniel Strauss to Pat Curran to Benson Henderson to even uh, Michael Chandler. That's what Pitbull has done. He just goes out there and fights the best that they have to offer. I believe he even fought Eddie Alvarez, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I could be off on that one. I think Alvarez was more of a 55er, and Pitbull was just staying at 45 at that point in time, trying to make a name for himself. Uh, Pitbull, power striker, decent uh, top control with his wrestling, but he's a very opportunistic striker looking for moments to really explode on his opponents and land his big strikes. Um you know, I was very surprised that Adam Borg's game plan, you know, throwing uh, flying knees and just giving up bad takedowns because we saw when he was able to operate at distance, he was touching up Pitbull. He was doing some good work, but he just gave up some bad positions, made some horrible decisions early in that matchup that made him behind on the scorecards and Pitbull was able to get his hand raised. The AJ McKee performance with Pit, from Pitbull was very impressive. He was very calm, methodical, picking his spots and then just landing the more significant strikes and just, you know, it was a close fight. Could have gone either way, if, in my opinion. Sergio Pettis is a sniper from distance. Utilizes good footwork and just timing. Uh, crashes the pocket well when he needs to. Uh, has a decent jiu-jitsu game as well. But I love his striking style. I know people are low on him right now because of his loss to... Or sorry, his near loss to uh, uh, Horiguchi. Uh, why can't I remember Horiguchi's first name? <laughs> You no, not Yuma Horoguchi. God, why is it why is it bugging me as much as it is right now in the middle of recording? What is Horoguchi's first name? <laughs> Give me a second here, guys. Horoguchi. I feel like it starts with a T. No, it's a K. <laughs> what a dumb dumb. I'm so dumb. I apologize, guys. Kyoji Horoguchi. Of course, it's Kyoji Horiguchi, but Horiguchi was doing a great job in that fight. You know, utilized very awkward and difficult footwork that Sergio Perez couldn't get a beat on, and he was able to crash the pocket when he needed to, landed some good damage, and even had some good top control when he was able to get the takedowns. But Pitbull doesn't have that type of footwork. Pitbull is more of a stationary striker that just stalks his opponents and waits for his openings to let go with the strikes. I think... If Sergio Pettis can traverse the cage well here, he can land better better significant strikes, more output, and more offense from distance while moving very well. And that should be able to get him a decision victory here and pull off the upset. I'm, you know, I'm a little bit hesitant because coming off of that ACL injury and that surgery and coming back against the best Bellator fighter of all time. But history tells us that guys, you know, in that 35-year-old and higher range, dropping down a weight class at such a high level, they don't normally do that well. And Sergio Pettis is still a very high-level fighter. Let's not forget that. I think people are letting the Horiguchi fight just, you know, um, impede their, their, their analysis a little bit too much. Horiguchi does not fight like Pitbull at all. And I think that Pettis has a style that could give Pitbull some trouble here. So give me Pettis to win this fight by decision. The over seems to be another spot that we could potentially tackle here. But I think that we see the Bantamweight uh, champion retained here, pulling off a pretty big upset here. Give me Pettis to win by decision. And that brings us to our main event of the evening, which goes down in the light heavyweight division between champion Vadim Nemkov and Yoel Romero. 
Almost had a brain fart there. Vadim Nemkov is coming off defeating Corey Anderson last time around where he was able to utilize good takedown defense and precision striking to beat up Corey Anderson over 25 minutes and retain his title. He's a very solid fighter all around and I think that performance in the first fight against Corey Anderson had to do with some sort of sickness or illness that he was dealing with going into that matchup. That's what I heard after the fact. I wish I'd heard it before because I went in pretty deep on Corey Anderson in the rematch thinking we'd get a replication of the first fight but that was not the case at all there's a reason Vadim is the top of the division here in the light heavyweights and he might even be the best light heavyweight in the world but that will never really be found out unless he makes the jump to the UFC or if well I guess we'll never see a top light heavyweight from the UFC jump to Bellator but Solid fighter, comes from the Fedor Emelianenko training camp. We know what to expect from him. Great fighter. On the flip side with Yoel Romero, 40, how old is he now? 46? Yes, 46. Absolutely crazy. Seems to still have the physicality and athleticism of a 30-year-old. And he's been able to pull off back-to-back victories over Melvin Manhoof and Alex Polizzi to eventually earn this title shot. But we knew as soon as Bellator signed Yoel Romero that they were just chomping at the bit to give him a title shot to just try to extract as much of the value they can from his name. And they're getting that this weekend. We know what Romero is. Sometimes he utilizes his wrestling when he sees that he has a clear advantage like he did in the Melvin Manhoof fight. Other fights, he's content with just throwing some kicks from the outside and every so often launching some big uh, strikes with his hands, with his blitz attacks, and hoping for a knockout. But if that doesn't come to fruition, he ends up losing decisions, like he did against Israel Adesanya, like he did against Phil Davis, and that's what could potentially happen here against Vadim Nemkov. He's not going to have a significant enough t- uh, wrestling advantage here over Nemkov to be able to you know, grind him out over 25 minutes. And if anything, I think that Vadim will be the one that will be able to land takedowns in the latter half of this matchup to grind this out and secure a decision victory. I think Vadim is just too good for him at this point in time. I think he's too educated to get caught by a big blitzing attack from Yoel Romero. It's MMA. It could happen. If anybody could pull it off, it's Yoel Romero. But I just don't see that happening. I don't see it as a you know, justifiable reason as why we should take a big dog shot on, your, on Romero here. Give me Vadim Nemkov to pull off a victory once again and retain his light heavyweight title. Who's next? Who the hell knows? But I think that Vadim reigns supreme once again, taking this victory home by decision. And there you guys go. Breakdowns for every single Bellator 297 fight. Yes, there is PFL and LFA going down Friday night as well. If you guys want breakdowns for those, link in the description below to my personal Patreon page. We'll have written breakdowns for every single one of those matchups. Oh, wait. There's also LFA and PFL next week, and I'll have those on the Patreon page as well. Make sure you guys check out the Lucky Two-Step free parlay for this week's UFC card, which also dropped today. And then tomorrow on Friday, the three best prop bets for the UFC Vegas 75 card once again. And look out for all new segments next week so that I can drop a piece of content for you guys every single weekday of a UFC fight week. Wrapping it up, folks. Appreciate all the love. Appreciate all the support. MMA Fight Archive, check that out as well. Good luck on our reaction this week, and I'll see you guys again tomorrow. Peace. Last thing.